It all started as the dishes were being cleared from the table. I should back up. Uh, recently, a friend and her wife expanded their bubble to include their parents. It had been forever since they had seen them. Uh, it almost felt like a whole world ago. And so it was that a couple weeks ago, she found herself at the dinner table with her in-laws. With the dinner now done and her mother-in-law starting to clear the dishes. And that's when her mother-in-law drops this question and then quickly heads for the kitchen. She's actually kind of famous for doing this. In this case, the question was, so what do you think about those protests? Some more context. My friend and her wife and her in-laws are white, and they come from a more conservative part of the country. Over many years, my friend has done a lot of work to learn about race and class and privilege. And like in many families, not everyone else has. And especially right now, it leads to moments like these. Immediately after the question was dropped, the first thing that happened was that people got up and left the table. You've never seen so many people eager to do the dishes. But my friend, she stayed, curious to see where this would go next. Her father-in-law got the first jab in, lamenting about the looting that was part of the protests. And then he crossed his arms and leaned back in his chair and waited. Does this feel familiar to you? That moment when the next course of the family dinner becomes fight or flight? My sense is that these kinds of conversations are happening more and more and more as we make our way through one of the defining moments of our common life in this country. Our passage from Matthew forms the capstone to this section of this gospel in which Jesus sends his students out to proclaim his message in word and deed that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as Jesus sends his followers out like sheep amidst wolves, do you recall how he prepares them for this journey? By telling them to carry nothing that might shield them from encounter. No gold or silver, no bag or staff. Just themselves and this stunning proclamation that the world is about to turn. Now, in my experience, it's a vulnerable thing to be sent anywhere. Where will you sleep? What will you eat? What's the word for bathroom, anyways? And yet, sometimes the places that make us most uncomfortable 
are the ones we know best. Remember, friends, where it was that the disciples were sent in this gospel to proclaim that this realm of heaven had come near. Was it some far-off country or dramatic location? Not so much. In this account of the good news, they were sent to their own. They were sent to the people and the places that they already knew. Where might that be for you? With whom? What literal or proverbial uncomfortable dinner table conversation might you be sent into? Okay, the conversation between my friend and her father-in-law began in fits and starts. At first, he said he wasn't going to say anything. And then he'd say something aggressive. Perhaps playing devil's advocate because, you know, somebody has to. But she kept in it and pushed him to keep talking. And when she spoke, she tried to make it as real as possible, returning to her own path of learning about racial injustice in these United States. It was intense. And it seems that one of the reasons that she stayed in there was that underneath his bluster and his anger, it was really clear that he was feeling lost. And compassion began to well up in my friend as she realized that this might have been the first time that he had spoken about race openly in a long time. Maybe ever. He'd done some work, but he wasn't sure what to do with it. And in that moment, she didn't feel like he needed to know he was wrong, more that he needed help making connections. You see, as they continued, he kept surprising himself, backtracking as he processed in the moment, and she witnessed him starting to work something out as he searched for a path. Might have been his own salvation. In her words, it was kind of a cool moment. Friends, often when we hear this chapter from Matthew's Gospel, we pay a lot of attention to the ones who are sent. But then, to finish this section, Jesus turns our attention to the ones who receive. He talks about those who are able to receive a prophet. And if they're not able to receive a prophet, then those who can receive a righteous one. And if they cannot receive a righteous one, he commends those who even give a cup of cold water to one of the little ones. Beloved, we are at an incredible moment in the history of this nation. As these last several weeks have unfolded, I have come to believe that we are entering a time of kairos, of time as God experiences, a, a time that is not linear, that has a potential, that has power. 
a fullness of time when the world is turning. We are glimpsing the realm of heaven in ways that we have been yearning for, but have not yet. But in order for black lives to matter, in order for real and necessary change to take place, we must be ready to welcome these prophets and righteous ones and little ones who are pointing the way to justice and dignity and healing, which is the realm of heaven. And for many of us, and especially those of us who are white, our call in this moment is to prepare ourselves to receive. Now this can be just as vulnerable for those who receive as it is for those who are sent. For rarely is the prophet's message easy to hear, especially for those who are not ready to change. But if we are willing to remain in the conversation and let truth reform us, then it is God, God's self, whom we will receive. Over that next hour, the back and forth slowly became a real conversation. And it moved from the kitchen table to the floor of the living room where the grandchild was. That can help. And by the end of the 90 minutes, the tone had shifted. The body language was more open. Each were leaning forward. It ended with some appreciation from both of them, not necessarily a tidy end, but there still are places of disagreement, to be sure. But there was a, a common ground where little had been felt before. As my friend told me the story, I, I wondered what it was that had kept her in it, especially when others left the table and it began in such anger and defensiveness. Well, she said there was a sense of responsibility and an opportunity. There was this ripeness of the moment, and she felt like she had something to offer. But she also sensed that he was practicing, just as she was practicing. What I came to realize was this fundamentally was an act of love. A love that doesn't demand its own way, but is willing to suffer alongside another. She didn't walk out. She didn't start pounding him with facts and figures or try to manipulate him or make him look the fool. She was curious. She was clear. She was compassionate. She offered the experience of her own hard road of reformation, all the while leaving room for him to find his own path through the brambles and thorns of our history and of our present.
I wonder if the reward for being willing and able to receive a prophet or a righteous one or a little one, I wonder if the reward we receive is to be able to experience the realm of God. And not just at the end of all things. Because I have the sense that this is what my friend experienced. Something that was so true, so good, so right, so real. That she saw the beginning of a kind of healing, of a, of a heart being remade. Make no mistake, friends, this holy work, this realizing the kingdom in our midst, it will take time and determination and trust. For the ways of white supremacy crafted over centuries are not remade in the course of hours or days or weeks. For us to come near to this realm of righteousness, we will need to be courageous full of heart and as willing to receive as we are to be sent.